Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan. This is Coaching Kernan. Uh, very fortunate to have the star of our show here, ready to roll some great articles last week. I uh, have a wonderful guest, a repeat guest that we had on just a week ago on a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, being episode 243 right here, just want a quick thank to our subscribers. Uh, you guys are helping us kill it every week. Uh, our shows are for you, so keep supporting us, and we'll keep providing you this great content we do every week. Um, with that, Kevin, welcome back to your show here. Uh, another couple great articles this past week. Uh, you know, with the free agency going on, our uh, the Mets, I know you and I talked about last week, paying over $80 million to send two Hall of Fame pitchers to pitch somewhere else. Wonderful economics right there by businessmen throughout baseball. But catch us up to speed on what you're seeing out there and some things you touched on in your articles and, and anything you want to spread out there to our audience. Yeah, I want to get right to Leo, but I just want a couple quick points. Um, the last two articles, let me see, j- just in the last 24 hours, a manager, a uh, current hitting coach, former manager. I'm hearing from so many baseball people. They are fed up. They've had enough. It's a joke what's happened to the game. And, um, you know, they can't say anything. You know, I can't go public with their names because they, they still have jobs. And I've always protected my people. And uh, But, you know, for the owners, and this is a plea to the owners, for them to continuously get um, fooled by these nerds who know nothing about baseball. I'm on a warpath now, as you know, Dave. Been yeah. I'm, not, I'm not stepping back. I'm not one of these guys, so, yeah, you need some analytics. There's always been analytics in the game. Leo knows that, you know. It's it's They just lie. They, they really lie. Everything they say is pretty much a lie. I mean, if you listen to his GMs half the time, they, they, they and, and the writers just write it down. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but they haven't fixed the pitching. The pitching's worse. The, uh, they were going to fix the injuries. The injuries are worse. Um the game is worse. Nobody has, you know, very limited pitchers have control. Even if you're good, they try to teach you a sweeper or something. You don't need a cutter or a slider, and uh, you're not as good as you could be. So if baseball, if baseball doesn't fight back soon uh, from within, it, it's done. And it's really that simple. I'm going to leave it at that. And um, all I can say is people should read my last two uh, columns over at Ball 9 because uh, it's the truth. And – I'll always write the truth. And these people, um, the, the first time I want to ask Leo, actually, I want to jump in before I forget this, Dave. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Leo, you know, you started early. I think uh, you were in like Medford and Decatur. And I think your manager in Decatur might have been Denny Summers, who I knew from my days with the Padres. Uh, so my point is this. The institutional knowledge that you gain from people like Johnny Sane, and, um, you know, everyone you passed cross, cross paths with, uh, including Hank Aaron, obviously, um, that that's a staple of the game. And I'm seeing it being de- taken away brick by brick. And, and, and I'm really fearful. And a, 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 and a major leaguer guy mentioned this to me the other day, and it's a great comment. He says, look what's happened to the game now. What's going to happen in 20 years when, when all these guys are – or exercise from the game. So just give us your thoughts on uh, institutional knowledge, how important it is to the game and where it's heading with the, the nerds taking over in every aspect. Well, <clears throat> number one, I think uh, uh, Denny Summers brings back some uh, great memories. Uh, I, I pitched for Denny in, 
in Amarillo. And then we were down in Mexico in winter ball together when he managed the team down there. So <clears throat> Denny was a good man or is a good man. I'm not sure what his status is right now, uh, but it's a great name that you brought up. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. And, uh, you know, just a regular baseball guy that was out there every day uh, managing the team and uh, letting you play. And uh, But I ran into some uh, uh, great managers in my career as a young pitcher. I also ran into a bunch that I didn't even want to listen to uh, because I didn't think they knew what they were talking about. But, you know, as, as I got older, and when you meet guys like Johnny Sane, and then you pick their brain, and you pick the brain of Jim Palmer, you pick the brain of Don Sutton, uh, you pick the brain, brain of uh, Ray Miller, uh, these types of guys. Uh, this was where uh, I, I was able to take my pitching coaching to a different level and wish that I had known some of those things when I was trying to get to the big leagues. So, and, you know, I know that the game has changed now. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, the only thing that bothers, besides the analytic stuff, on the field what they've done is, is uh, I think they've watered down the stolen bases. That's oh, for sure. Terrible, terrible. You know, you know, and, but you know, I don't care about the no shift, and I don't care about a bigger bag or uh -huh. whatever. I don't care about the pitch clock, but I'd be darned if I do care about a limitation of how many times a pitcher could throw over to first base or holding runners. So, you know, th th that's going to be watered down, and uh, and uh, so that ruins that. The other thing is is that. Uh, uh, what really bothers me about the game that I still love is is how hand, starting pitchers are being handled. It's absolutely ridiculous to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, I sat to uh, I was yesterday sat in in Atlanta with Bobby Cox and and uh, watched the Braves and the Cubs play. And I thought, and both of us thought the strike zones were brutal. Oh, you know, hard. I mean. You know, and, and, the, and the analytics of how to get guys out and guys looking at notes on their arms and, and, and listening to a headphone in their ear and uh, not a headphone, but a little thing in their ear and a catcher listening in the ear. It's just, uh, uh, you know, I've I seen a lot of guys hit the target where the catcher set up and the ball went out of the ballpark. But I guess that was OK. That was where they were supposed to throw the ball, according to what's being said. You know, I mean, everybody wants a high target, and then they get the they 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 hit the high target. If it's not if it's not it if it's not out of the strike zone, it's a home run. So, um, and then you're seeing uh, uh, many more breaking balls now, and uh, you're seeing more. We always felt that we had to have a two to one ratio strike to ball with our fastball, right? Uh, it didn't go to the breaking ball in the off speed, but um, that's gone. That's that's it. I think it's only fifty fifty right now. Matter of fact. I'm probably sure there's a lot of pitchers throwing more breaking balls than they do fastballs. So the art of pitching has uh, uh, really uh, uh, made it difficult for me for to understand. The rest of the game, you know, I mean, I know balls are flying out. I know you can juice a baseball up. I know that, you know, you know, and then they talk about spin rates. We knew about that years ago. Look, there is a place in the game for some analytical information, but it's not to govern how you pitch, how you hit, how you manage, when you take a pitcher out, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I've talked to some great people in my time, too, that have a very difficult time watching the game. But once again, it's the transition, guys, of different generations. And unfortunately, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that you could get starting pitching back to where 
uh, it was put you put more emphasis on innings pitch because I certainly believe that the greatest pitcher, greatest teacher, a pitcher has is innings pitched, and that's being taken away from everybody. That, that's perfect. I remember Jack McKeon telling me that years ago. And, and speaking of Jack, and I'll throw it back to Dave and let him do his thing, and then we'll come back to me. But um, I used to love it. And you talked about watching you know, Bobby Cox when, when I was covering the Padres. I think Jack would always sneak out with Bobby down towards the bullpen and they'd have a pregame cigar sometimes or something you know, mm-hmm. like that. So uh, just tell us the influence of those, you know, uh, what Bobby's meant, meant to your career and, and, and how he handled, you know, situations. Cause you knew Bobby was the boss. I mean, it was really that simple. So many uh, managers uh, now. Are, are not it was very simple. Very, yeah. very simple. Yeah. In it, in a great way. Uh, he had such trend- tremendous respect uh, that players that go through a brick wall for him. He made pitchers the first class citizens of his of the ball club in spring training. He did the same thing. And uh, uh, but Bobby has the intangibles that besides the knowledge of the game, he has the intangibles that you you, you don't teach what he has. You're born with it. And his his, his ability to communicate and his ability to make guys feel good about themselves uh, is very, uh, very difficult to, to, for somebody else to do the way he did it. Um, but in, it, he, he, he was the greatest influence on me than any man in my life, except my father. And, uh, and uh, I think you have a lot of people, a lot of players tell you that, but uh, you know, it's, it's, and, and as far as he, the reason I think he's in the hall of fame more so, besides being a great manager was he knew more about handling pitching staffs than anybody in the history of the game. Wow. And he knew about, he, he knew he took the time to understand pitchers, took the time to understand what they were thinking, uh, made them first class citizens in spring training. How about this? You know, Maddox comes over from Chicago and, uh, and, uh, uh, Bobby's going. Uh, he so Matt. We met, our pitchers were always first class citizens in spring training. So when they got their work done, they were done. <laughs> I remember like, that. Yeah, it wasn't like did. you have to stand out there for two hours just to. For, with Bobby Cox, you know what eye wash is, right? Oh, I know what eye wash is. I see it all oh, the time. Oh God! Now. How many coaches have you seen have that? Unbelievable. Well, Bob, there was no eye wash. There was no phoniness. There was none of this BS. You know, all it was was go out and play the game the right way. And if you do it the right way. You're going to be rewarded for getting it done in an efficient manner, and then spring, your day at spring training was over. You know, and you can I mean, go, you go you go golfing if you want. Yeah, well, that's right. So well, one time during the regular season, Maddox's first year, after we had been to the World Series twice, and Bobby Maddox was having coffee in the morning in Pittsburgh, and he wasn't pitching that day. And Bobby went down there. He goes, "What are you doing here?" He goes, well, "What do you mean? I'm having some coffee." He goes, "How come you're not out on the golf course?" You know, get away from the. You guys need to get away from the game. Oh, get away from the game and relax a little bit. Then you go to another organization that's a losing one. Well, no golf's allowed. Ah, come on, give me a break. <laughs> that's so good. Go anyway, ahead, Dave. No, go but ahead. then when he had to put the hammer down, he did. And yes, uh, we, he did. Yes, he but did. He did it. He did it in a manner which didn't really embarrass a whole lot of people. He would do it sometimes. His own coaching staff, including me, would get a message to somebody. Uh, privately in his office or something. And we didn't even know about it. You know, wow. we didn't know about it. The press didn't know about it. And the players appreciated that. So 
Well, you know, uh, you, you know what that is, Leo. That's that's leadership, right? Absolutely, it is. And uh, yeah, and 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 he liked. He and I got along when, when he became the general manager in '86. Uh, he had a meeting in Atlanta with the with the organization. He said, um, he said, uh, uh, I'm going to turn an offensive oriented organization into a pitching one. Uh, who's going to take care of these pitchers? Well, there was four of us, four or five pitching coaches in there, you know, minor league guys. And, and I had started to get a reputation of uh, whether I was in a ball, double a, what triple a, whatever, that our pitching staffs didn't have sore arms. And then the only way you would get to the big leagues as a pitching coach then was if you were having success with healthy pitching staffs and their development in the minor leagues. Yeah. Uh, and so you had to produce. You had to produce, and so you and uh, so there. Uh, when he had the meetings, he said, "You know." So I actually, I explained to him what I wanted to do about how much I wanted him to throw based on more often with less exertion to get feel and touch on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of, you know, with Johnny Sane in the back of my mind, and uh, and a couple other coaches said, "Well, uh, as much as you want these guys to throw, you you know, you're gonna." They won't have anything left in August, and I'd already proven that wrong. And I said, "Well, what do you all do when I have them have that extra day on the mound?" Well, we play flat-footed thrown in the outfield. I said, "Do you mind telling me why, you know, uh, flat-footed throwing instead of on the mound throwing, where you make your living at sixty feet six inches going downhill to a catcher?" Well, that's always amazed me. Uh, you yeah. I see everybody flat throwing, uh, flat-footed throwing. Bunch of crap. Why are you doing that? I, I don't well they, everybody thinks they're protecting a pitcher's arm and they're not doing that at all because it's 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 different it's not the same as on a mound and plus when you're on a mound you have some help but here's what the pitching coach said to me he goes well they'll have a tendency to throw too hard off the mound and I said well that's what the hell they pay you for is to regulate the effort so they all shut up you know well that's great well, that's guess great. what then Jim Beecham one of the greatest men I was ever around in baseball. Old Beach said, well, all I can tell you is wherever Leo's at, there's pitching staffs don't have so arms. And then a couple other people said that. And then all of a sudden, Hank Aaron said, Leo's pitchers don't break down. Wow. So I did it. You know, and Cox now says, okay, we're going to use Leo's programs. And that was in 1986. So then Bobby and I kept in touch all the time from 86 on till June of nine, or till, uh, June 22nd of 90. When he went down on the field and he brought me in as his pitching coach because we were having a lot of success developing pitchers, and um, and that was a lot of it was based on Johnny Sane's theory of a four man. But Johnny was in a four man all the time, and I was in a five. Yeah, you're in five. Yep. But so what I tried to do was combine the both because I thought the pitchers got too much rest going into a five. They had too much time off without getting on the mound. So I did it a couple times in between starts, and the guys loved it. I mean, they loved it. And I did that in A ball, double A, triple A in the major leagues. But I had to control the effort. They couldn't get on the mound and start blowing, you know. Right. And uh, and uh, it worked like a charm. And uh, I think Glavin used to say it best. He said, we're on the mound practicing our craft so much. He says that when you're out there, in the, out there during the season, after a while you become your own pitching coach. And he said, you can have the answer before the fact instead of after the fact. And – this went on and on for 15 years. I was, I was with Bobby. And here's the genius of Bobby handling pitching staffs with all the pitch counts. All right. Yeah. How many has he got? Well, before they put him up on the wall, you know, all coaches had that clicker, you know, that little clicker the pitching coaches had. 
Hell, I used to cheat on that thing. You know, I go, okay, well, glad we get a first pitch pop up. I ain't counting that, you know. Or, hey, they counted throwing the ball over to first base, putting a guy on on four, four throws. Yeah. They counted those. Oh. And so now, you know, it got to be a joke where it's Bobby say, Leo, is that the real count? Is that yours? What's, what's the real count? Well, I used to, the only one I couldn't uh, fool was Maddox. I'd, the other guys would come in, and I'd, I'd tell them what they had, and they said, oh, it's not too bad. I said, no, you're in good shape. You know, and Maddox would come in and goes, and he'd say, how many do I have? And then I'd say, you got 66. He goes, you missed two. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so here's, but here's, here's the genius of Bobby. We had what we called a max out inning where the pitcher's going out for the, forget going out for the fourth or fifth. That's nothing. That, that means nothing to me or him. Pitcher's going out for the sixth or seventh, maybe the eighth. And he says, Leo, is he going to max out this inning? I say, yes, he's going to max out. He'd say, okay, we'll have somebody ready. He's not, and we'll, he'll be done regardless of what the pitch count is. Max out means he's going out that particular inning and max out his effort. You don't max out your effort from pitch one to pitch 70 and then you're out, you know? Right, right. Okay. Well, if you get on the mound more often with less exertion and do the programs that I did, pitchers learn how to do that. And that's why we stayed so healthy. So now he would say, they say a pitcher was going out and said, he goes, well, if he, he's Bobby, he's not going to max out. Well, if he doesn't max out, we'll leave him in. Pitch count had nothing to do with that either. It's all about the amount of effort you're putting forth on your pitches. And if you're overloading your physical ability or your mental ability, it's going to determine a lot whether you get, you get tired or not. Yes, you get tired mentally as well as physically. And, uh, and it's all on the eye test, too. No question about it. You know, when I went out to the mound all those years, I very rarely talked to anybody about strategy. That was taken care of before the game started, you know, because I used to tell pitchers, once the game starts, mechanics stop, and it's all about making pitches to get the hitter out. The best way you feel on that particular day, you know, depending on what pitch you think's working best for you, depending on this, depending on that, you know, because – uh, uh, and, and that's a feel thing, and you have to have that. That pitcher has to feel something. You can't be ordering him to throw a pitch that he don't feel comfortable with on, on that particular day, you know, just because an analytical guy says, well, you can't hit that pitch. What if that pitch is not working that day? And if it is working, yeah, go ahead. But if not, you have to make a, you have to compromise and make, and make an adjustment somewhere along the line, you know. So anyway, so we did that. The other thing was, we used the approach that, what's the, what's your most important pitch? And the guys would say, well, fastball, break. No, your most important pitch is your next one. So, in other words, if, say, a guy walked a couple guys, you're going out to the mound, you're not going to tell the pitcher, well, you've got to throw strikes. He's going to look at you and say, no shit, you know. <laughs> and and, and uh, so I would look at him and say, no, look, don't give in to the hitter. Yep. You know, we're yep. it's all about making pitches. And I said, don't forget your most important pitch is your next pitch. Because we felt that if their mindset was that way, you could have damage control in an inning. You know, you could, in other words, you could give up a run here and there. Well, and that, mentally no- cha- that mentally changes the approach. Instead of the guy worrying about what just happened, he's, he's geared up to go. Geared up Absolutely. to go. Yeah. No question about it. And that's when you had damage control. One time, and I used to tell our starters, look, you can give up four solo home runs in a game and still go nine. Well, Kent Merker one time had given up three by the sixth. 
he came in to me, three solos. He goes, he goes, hey, Leo, he said, I think I'm putting your, your theory to a big test here. I said, don't worry, Merck, you still got one left. You're all right. You know? <laughs> but, you know, things like that, you know, come on. Great and, stuff. Uh, Great stuff. You know, or finding out that, uh, 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 you know, I'm, I don't know what analytic ever came up with this, but uh, Glavin did. Uh, like, he, he, we were pitching against the Killer Bees in Houston. And uh, Glavin threw an inside changeup by mistake, and Bagwell almost fell on his face trying to hit it. And uh, Glavin come in the dugout. He said, "You see that, Leo?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "That's inside." I said, "I know." He goes, uh, "I think I should throw some inside changeups in these guys." I said, "Well, look, according to that reaction, heck yeah, wouldn't wouldn't bother me none if you feel confident in it." So Maddox peeks around, and says, "Hey, Glavin." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "If they hit that pitch, they can only pull it foul." Mm. I went, I'll be damned, you know. So anyway, so Glab sticks it sticks it to him, throwing inside changeups. Well, in the meantime, to show you Bobby Cox, you know, he goes, Leo, come here. Glavin threw a changeup. Javi Lopez was sitting up inside. Bobby says, that was a changeup, right, Leo? And I said, yeah. He goes, was Javi Lopez sitting up inside? I said, yeah. He goes, what are we doing? He goes, isn't that kind of dangerous? I said, Lavin said they can't hit that pitch. He goes, well, okay. <laughs> Again, I mean, it, it's well, you know, the reality of what's happening. The reality of what's happening at the moment. Yeah. I mean, things like that, you know. I mean, it, it's it, and there's a million stories like that. The one I really loved was, and, and young pitchers can can really listen to this story. And, this, and a lot of the analytical people that don't know what they're talking about or have to base it all on percentages, need to listen to this story. Steve Avery was 21 years old in 1991. He was he was a 18-game winner at age 21. And everybody would probably would say in today's game, oh, my God, he's getting to his innings limit. What a bunch of crap. But anyway, so anyway, so now, we, of course, we go over the pirate hitters. And every time we go over the pirate hitters, I'd never tell our pitcher, you can't throw this guy that. I'd give him five or six ways to get the guy out, and then I would add whatever their strengths were into that equation, whether it was in the scouting report or not, you know, because I didn't want our pitchers in a prevent defense, and I felt that, well, you know, if you got, you're giving them positive, a, a positive approach to the lineup. So anyway, after we do that, I'm walking down with this young Steve Avery. We're down three games to two in the post in the NLCS to the Pirates in Three River Stadium. And I said, well, Abe, you got this stuff figured out? He said, I sure do, Leo. I said, good, tell me. You know, just jokingly going down the bullpen. He goes, I'm going to warm up, find out what I got, and pitch accordingly. There you go. And I looked at him and I said, Steve, that's the best scouting report I ever heard. And he beat him one to nothing. Fantastic. No, that's great stuff. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't any uh this percentage over here, this percentage over here, this percentage over here, this percentage over here. Uh uh. It's all you you based your entire attack on what your pitcher's strengths were, besides who was hitting. I mean, you know, we had we could figure out how to pitch everybody except one guy, and that was Bonds. After Bonds went to San Francisco, hell I didn't know where to you know, we he had no holes. And, and everybody would ask me, how are we going to pitch the Bonds? I said, I know how to pitch the Bonds. They said, how you do that? I said, you get the first two guys out before he comes up. 
<laughs> you know, that's how you pitch to him. Then if he's up there with nobody on, well, take your shot. Uh, great stuff. Of course, we've got the great Leo Mazzoni here, world champion, reputation for his pitchers took the post every single time, and we touched on that a little bit. Uh, Leo, you, you, you have a sense of reverence for Johnny Sane and, and love hearing his information, but you've also served in the capacity as mentor to a lot of good young pitching coaches. I remember seeing an interview with Caleb Davis, who was at Furman, and we talked about Furman before the show. Um, share how that information translated from you from Johnny to you to all these other young pitching coaches. You hit two points with me before the show. One was the glove side strike, how important that was, because we have a young audience out there too. And also, break it down. You talked about you know your conversation with Steve Avery, the five ways to get out. So those are two things I'd love for our audience to hear about. Well, I, I think there's there's some, some coaches that uh, uh, I gave that information to that uh, and just like Johnny, Johnny tried to give all his information to other coaches, and they they didn't they didn't they, they took it with a grain of salt and thought, well, you know that was that was the old days, you know. I didn't. I picked his brain because I knew his career, and I studied the the greatest pitching coach in the history of the game, who should be in baseball's Hall of Fame, is Johnny Sane, number one pitching coach or number one coach. It should be him that goes in. And then so you know, and after I got done, you know, I even I even. Uh, Talked to some of our minor league guys and this and that. Like, I had a minor league coach one time uh, come up to me and say we had a we had a, a night game, in, a rare night game in Orlando, and so then that day he this young this pitching coach would talk to all the minor league pitchers. He said, "You want to come on over and and listen?" I said, "Sure." Now our m- mantra was that we were going to own the down and away strike. Okay. Now if you're right-handed. 80% of our practice time was spent on fastball command down and away, right-handed hit pitcher to right-handed hitter. If you were left-handed, it was the opposite. Left-handed, you were one to own the down and away strike, lefty to lefty. So that way you practice getting lefties out down and away, you're getting righties out down and away, and then that would allow you to go in when you wanted to, not when a report said, but when you wanted to go in if we owned the down and away strike, you could go in whenever you wanted, especially opposite arm to bat. Well, anyway, so there comes this guy, and he talks to all these pitchers, and he said, uh, he said to me, he goes, "Okay, everybody, we're going to alert, we're going to pitch inside. So I want the all the catchers setting up this way for this inside, and all the catchers sitting up for left handers inside, right handers inside, and we're going to practice that all the time so we can pitch inside, learn how to pitch inside." And I sat there and listened to it, and I thought, well, he's going to want to know something. I'm going to tell him. He said, what, after he got done, he talked about some other stuff that I thought was meaningless. And uh, he said, come over to me. He goes, what'd you think? I said, can I be honest with you? He goes, yeah. I said, I didn't think it was very good. I said, your, your thought process on what you want to do is fine. I said, but you didn't tell him that in order to pitch inside successfully and selectively, is to own the down and away strike. Then you can go in whenever you want. You can dictate when you want to go in. So when I taught teach pitchers how to pitch inside, I teach them to pitch down and uh, own the down and away strike. I don't have to work on going in because now they're going to go in. When they do, it's going to be effective. So, you, But you do have to work on owning the down and away strike for strike one. And I used to keep those uh, track of all those things without a computer in, a, in, in books and, and, and things that I had on how many times our pitchers went strike one and how many times we had success after that happened. And it, it was 
amazing how much success you had after you went strike one. So anyway, uh, I said, you didn't explain opposite arm to bat either. Because what, what do you mean? I said, well, if you're left-handed and the hitter's right-handed, it's easier for the lefty to get in on him. And if you're, and if you're right-handed and the hitter's left-handed, it's easier for the righty to get in on him. I said, besides, you know, at, if you just think in a sim- simple way when you're working with these kids, righty to righty, honest in, out, down, and away. Lefty to lefty, honest in, out, down, and away. Lefty to righty, righty to lefty, work both sides more. And I said, it's a very simple plan. And, and I said, you left all that out. So anyway, I didn't, I do, I didn't, I wasn't saying it in a, in a smart ass manner. I was just talking to him like we're talking right now. Yeah. So anyway, that's part of our theory. And I know that I remember, uh, uh, Greg Maddox told me one time when he came over, he said, the hardest pitch you have to make on a consistent basis is a right-handed pitcher to a right-handed hitter down and away for strike one, down and away for a strike for a strike and when that's what we worked on constantly him and everybody else and the, and the bottom line was they said well Maddox pitched inside great yes he did he pitched inside great he owned the outside corner and he pitched inside great and most of the time some of those the greatest pitches he made were inside to left-handed hitters left-handed hitters Right-handed hitters, he was pretty much, you know, he'd go, he's going in, but pretty much his percentage of pitches inside as opposed to outside the righties was not as much as lefties. John Smoltz against righties never went in. Tom Glavin against anybody. <laughs> yeah. Expanded away. Show in and expand away. But, you know, those are – but all our pitchers did that. We wanted to own that down-and-away strike with our fastball – which allowed us to do everything else. And then the other approach was, and and kids should listen to this, what's the most vulnerable count a hitter can have? Well, the most vulnerable count a hitter can have is no balls and two strikes. Why not take him out immediately? Why not try to take him out? Every pitch that you throw should be to get the hitter out. You might, you know, the setup pitch, the waste pitch, the purpose pitch. We never talked about that. We talked about making a pitch to get the hitter out. What I throw O2, whatever you think you you have confidence in to get that hitter out. The reason it's 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 messed up is because if somebody gets up an O2 hit, everybody goes crazy. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But if you go into a game and your pitch count's way down because you're getting you're being sufficient with your strikes. Nobody's going to say a word. And if they get a swing and a miss on strike three, ain't nobody going to say a word. You know? Okay, well, why not do that instead of throwing one up above somebody's head or down 20 feet in the dirt and then miss the next one? Now we're back to even. And so, you know, those are simple approaches, yet practicing them, you, you can't accomplish that on flat-footed throwing in the outfield. You got to work on that. Whatever your distance is, little league distance, American Legion distance, pony league distance, travel ball, major minor leagues, major leagues. You practice your craft on the mound at the distance you're going to have to execute your pitches. Period. Seems common sense. That's uh. Now, when you you had obviously three different types of pitchers: Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Just talking about those three Hall of Famers. 
the five ways well, to velocity. today today is about exit today is about velocity it's a crazy crazy world they want velocity what, what's the most important way to, of the five ways f- for you to get outs well, n- number number one is control you know you, you you get a you get a hitter out five ways okay Johnny Singh taught me this you get a hitter out five ways stuff not in not necessarily in this order stuff movement change of speeds location and motion all five play a part in effectiveness. Some will play more of a part in what they're good at. For example, if, if Greg Maddox had tremendous control and tremendous movement and a tremendous change of speeds, Tom Glavin had great control of his fastball, great control of his changeup. He changed speeds as well as anybody in the game and would, you know, and, and had a decent breaking ball, which, uh, was a part of his, uh, repertoire but wasn't a main factor in it and then there was John Smoltz who had a very good fastball a very good slider a slider curve depending on what scouts call in the pitch to be honest with you and then all I know was a damn good breaking ball and then he he had a very difficult time with a changeup very difficult time he just couldn't and reason why he had a difficult time with his changeup is because you know, when a pitcher has such a great breaking ball, sometimes it's hard for him to get confidence in a changeup. And so, anyway, so I thought, you know, he's got a perfect delivery for a split. But before I taught him the split, I found out I knew that Bruce Suter lived in Atlanta. So I got a hold of Bruce Suter and had lunch with him one day and said, Give me everything you know about the split. I'm about to teach John Smoltz a split to go with his fastball and breaking ball. He gave me everything to do. It's mostly picked it up pretty quick. And before you know it, it was killer. And then he had fastball, breaking ball, and split. But if you look at the guys, those three guys, and plus there was just more than those three. There was a whole bunch of them. I mean, we had, what, 12 pitchers make the all-star team, for crying out loud, over that run. But anyway, if you look at the Hall of Fame guys, Maddox basically a three-pitch pitcher. Glavin basically a two-and-a-half pitch pitcher. Smoltz, basically, a three-pitch pitcher. You always think this, you got for the especially for the youngsters out here, too. If you got two pitches going, you're going to win. If you got three pitches going, you're going to throw a shutout. If you get narrowed down to one, you're going to lose. But if you can't control any of them, it don't make a, it don't make a darn what, it, what happens. You know, it doesn't make... If, if if there's no control, there's no no success. And then if you're hurt, there's no success. Your arm injuries occur from overexertion, overextension, and it doesn't matter what particular pitch it is. Throwing a breaking ball used to be, oh, you get a sore arm throwing a curveball when you're young. That's not a that's a bunch of baloney. You'll get a uh, you'll get a sore arm on any pitch that you try to overthrow. Any pitch that you try to throw harder than you can. So that's why you see now the rise in Tommy John surgeries from younger pitchers because they're all being told to throw the ball as hard as you can. Now, the whole base of healthy arms is more often with less exertion, yet the game now has evolved to as hard as you less, – less throwing, and when you do throw, throw as hard as you can. And everybody's trying to get a swing and a miss. Everybody's looking at velocity. Everybody's looking at all this, you know. So anyway, if you can control your effort 
all of, all of a sudden mechanics become good. Uh, pitcher, your pitchers get better control. You're not jerking around all over the place. You're not falling all over the place. I watched the games yesterday, two days ago, between the Cubs and the Braves, and I thought that Cubs pitching staff had the worst, ugliest control of any staff I'd seen all year. Nobody could throw strikes, and everybody was throwing breaking balls behind in the count, and everybody was trying to get throw a breaking balls behind in the count with a five-run lead. And I'm sitting there going, and I'm not seeing no down-and-away fastballs, none. Everybody's up and in, middle in. How about this one? I heard a term yesterday I never heard before. Oh, he threw a high sinker. And they didn't say it once. They said it twice. He threw a high sinker. And I went, I looked at Bobby. Bobby, I said, Bobby, did we miss out on something or something? What's a high sinker? You know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, my golly. But then, then again, there's some great things about the game, too, as far as, you know, I, just, I love to watch Verlander pitch, and I love to watch Derek Cole pitch. And But they're pitchers. They're not throwers, you know. Uh, and then, But if you see a ground ball pitcher trying to pitch up in the zone, you know, or you, if you, in other words, pitching now is based on analytical analysis and this and that and this and that. And managers taking pitchers out, you know, when, when they're not when, way too early. Because, you know, if they get in trouble in the fourth or fifth, stuff like that, you know, I mean, uh, anyway, I'm, um, I'm rambling a little bit right now, but I think it all comes back full circle to being able to practice off the mound, regardless of what age you are, and the distance that you're supposed to throw at and control the effort. If you can do that, you can, you can, you can stay pretty darn healthy. And if you want to look up the track record of the 15 years that Bobby and I were together, you know, making 500 and some starts in a row with missing one or, you know, making uh, averaging 146, 162 game starts by our starters uh, over the course of that time. Uh, there's something to it, guys. It wasn't no accident. Yeah. And, well, the same thing is with Johnny Sain. When they wanted to listen, nobody wanted to listen to him. And the reason why they didn't want to listen to him is because they feared his knowledge. He knew that the, the people that were in charge of Johnny – during his career, knew that they were smart. He was smarter than they were, and I and, and knowledge is intimidating. So now Johnny takes me over to his place in spring training, and we're sitting in a. He takes me to his camper. He won't stay in a hotel. He doesn't want to be around all the all the other the brass and all that sort of thing. He's he had his own camper, his own plug in in West Palm. We'd go over there. He fixed a little cornbread and beans. We'd sip on some vodka and talk pitching all night. Love it. I did that with him. For a couple of years, and I said, "Man, oh man, I thought I knew. I, I thought I was one of these young and up and coming uh, pitching coaches. I found out I did. I had a whole lot to learn." Well, I wish you uh, imagine if you had taped those conversations. That would be something with uh, with Johnny Sane and being in the RV. And uh, it makes me think of a question I wanted to ask: um, Why? How many? Uh, how many young GMs or, or uh, organizations have reached out to you? Just to get your take on on the state of pitching and maybe some advice. Nobody. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> that says it all. Yeah, no doubt. Nobody, you know. And I, I, I always, uh, you know, I asked a front office guy one time, you know, how come nobody, you know, uh, uh, wants to, uh, you know, uh, bring me in, be an advisor, all this sort of thing. And they said, Leo, they, I said, did I do something wrong? He said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. 
I said, well, look at the success. He goes, I understand that. He goes, it, number one is it's a change in decades. He, he said, number two is he says, um, you have very strong opinions. I said, I know, I know I do. I said, but they're, they work. He said, I understand that. He said, so an organization is going to call you in and say, this is what we want you to do. What's your answer going to be? And I said, well, my answer is going to be, if you call me in, I would like to tell them what we're going to do. He said, they know that. So that's why they're not going to bring you in. You'll challenge him. What about this theory, Johnny Sane's theory? Again, I, I had it written down to the vodka and cornbread and beans in the in the RV. Uh, what about his theory on throw a lot, run little? Oh, well, that's what we did, too. When, when we get guys that came over with us spring training, how many wants to run, Leo? I don't care how many you want to run. I ain't going to count your grown men. You mean, I said, well, if you want to cheat yourself, go ahead. But I, I said, I can tell if I'm going to be able to tell if you cheat yourself or not. I said, if you do the things the right way, you could be on the golf course by one o'clock. You know, oh, you ought to see them. They hauled ass. You know, <laughs> they were they were moving, boy. But anyway, Johnny um, uh, uh, Sane uh, felt that you, you it was all about making pitches and it was all about proper spins on the ball, spin rate. Right? Hell, he had the spinner in his hand when he was a young, and when he was in in the seventies. When I came in contact with him and he was showing me spins on the ball and how to the breaking ball spins, the fastball spins, the different spins on change of speeds, et cetera. He said, now you, when you stand behind the pitcher, you got to read those spins and find out if those spins are consistent. I mean, if those spins are consistent, then the pitch is going to be consistent. He said, so you have to get on the mound and practice your spins on your particular pitches. He said, but you can't do that, you know, just – piddling around he said you got to do that when you're actually practicing your pitching he said so he said and why would you want to run pitchers into the ground first and then you know like a lot of teams in spring training run them run like crazy before the game the practice started then you had to get on the mound after that and you go well hell well, we always felt that if your legs were tired you might raise the risk of an arm injury if you're on the mound everything's on the mound first Everything, all your work is first. You're on the mound making pitches and learning how to make pitches and learning how to control pitches is your number one priority, not all this gimmick bull about, well, move the catcher up front of the whole plate, duh, 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 or flat-footed throwing, duh, 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 duh. Listen, it's all a bunch of eyewash. It really is because you got to make your living on the mound going downhill with the catcher. And, but Johnny was, you know, he was, he was more, he wanted, he, he wanted pitchers to throw a lot, you know to learn how to control the ball, learn how to spin the ball, get some touch on the ball. We wanted somebody to be with two strikes, be sneaky quick instead of overpowering, you know, and uh, you can't do those things unless you're on the mound practicing your pitches. We had one time where Johnny was a, my first year as a pitching coach with the Braves and Johnny was, we're down in instructional league and uh, Tom Glavin's shoulder was bothering him. He's a number two draft pick. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, they were going to send him home. And uh, Johnny said to the uh, doctors and trainers, and he said, is it okay if I have him for a week? He said, if his arm's still bothering him in a week, he said, we'll send him home. He said, but I'd like to try some things with him. Of course, then they said, well, yeah, go ahead. In today's game, there ain't no way anybody lets you do that, you know. I mean, I think they send guys down to the minor leagues or put them on the injured list when they're not injured, to be perfectly honest with you. And 
So because there's so many changes all the time, nobody can be hurt that many, many times and, you know, make 31 pitching changes in a season. Come on, give me a break. Yeah. But anyway, so Johnny says, Leo, I want you with me every step of the way. I said, okay. And, uh, that's what all the, that's when practice is over. Of course, we get a catcher to catch him. Of course, the catcher's upset because he wants to get out of this, you know, just get down there and catch. Okay. You know, we'll take care of you to catch it. We'll take you to dinner or whatever. And, uh, so anyway, so I'm down there with Glavin and, uh, so Johnny gets him on the mound. He says, now I want you to get loose. And all I want you to do is crow hop your pitches going down the hill to the catcher. So he showed Tommy how to crow hop, put his left foot. If you visualize it, put your left foot on the, on the rubber. When you crow hop or right in front of it, and crow hop down down the hill to the catcher. Johnny looks at me and goes, the most natural way you throw a baseball, Leo, is out of a crow hop position. I said, okay. He does it t- with him five days in a row. Takes two days off, pitches two scoreless innings, and his shoulder didn't hurt anymore. And I sat there and watched that, and I said, he, all he did was, you know, he, he got him to loose, get loose and throw in ways – that he would not restrict himself and then carry that type of mechanics and delivery out on the mound without crow hopping down the hill. And it, it, and it was amazing. Of course, I would come back in the clubhouse and there'd be a couple old, old managers and, you know, what, what are you doing down there? What are you doing down there? I said, well, getting glad of helping Tommy out. And uh, they'd say, well, you've been down, you've been down there for four, you've been thrown for 45 minutes. What are you trying to do to ruin the kid? And I looked at this one guy. I'd like to tell you his name, but I looked at this one guy and I said, you think he's down there throwing for, he's throwing for five or 10 minutes and we're talking the rest of the way. Of course, that was a guy, one of the guys that feared Johnny Sane's knowledge, you know? And, uh, uh, and I th- sat there and went, well, here we go. I'm going to learn a lot. I used to, I used to think that a bu- all these minor league coaches got together to, produce a product and help the kid get to the big leagues. And, and I met a ton of them that were just jockeying for position to improve their own position. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's, that's the way it is. And it's always has been. And it's even worse now because now you get all the, at least those guys played baseball. Now you get all these assistant GMs jockeying and uh, you know, there's, you know, some guys that run teams now have never even played baseball and they will play lacrosse and college. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it even, it makes it even worse. I mean, it's always been there. You know, that always, it's always been there. Always, been, you know, and you sit there and, you know, I, I used to, in my minor leagues, I used to hear a manager turn in a report on guys, you know, they, at then you had to call it in and, uh, yep. and, they, and he would call in a game and I, and I'd look at it. I'd say to myself, that ain't the game I just saw. <laughs> you know, what, what, what's he doing? You know, That's you know well, this guy, this guy went over four, but boy, he had good swings. I went, Gee. That sounds familiar. I'm hearing a lot of that these days in the major. Oh league. yeah. Oh oh. By the way, here's a here's a good one. My toward the end of my last few years in Atlanta, you know, they, they'd bring up the uh, uh, prospects, you know, in September and honor them, you know, and this and we congratulate him and talk to him. So this one guy, this one scout, brings this one kid over. You know, I want him to meet you, Leo. It's hi, old guy. You doing? He said, man, did he pitch a great game last night? In the instructional, the guy said, oh, that's great. I said, well, how many did you go? He goes, I went three. I said, how many? He goes, three. I said, what, did you come in in relief? He goes, no, I didn't come in in relief. 
I said, yeah. you started and went three. Yeah. Could you have gone more? Well, yeah. I said, you mean to tell me that you had a great game last night and you went three innings? I said, to me, I said, that's not a great game. You know, I just told him, I said, what, three innings? Hell, now that could be called a great game because now I hear managers and, and, and coaches say, well, if we can get three good ones out of him, I about, when I hear that, I got to turn the channel. But anyway, no, I, I'm so I didn't, I, I, and then I told the kid, I said, look, I'm not trying to be a smart ass. I said, but to me, if you're talking about the instructional league and you're a starting pitcher and you have a great game, I said, you know, down in the instructional league, I can see where you're not going way deep. But I said, I figure a starter is going to go at least five or so, you know, mm-hmm. in the instructional league, you know. But, you know, we, I was, uh, the innings pitched always got back to me as uh, 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 the, uh, Don Sutton used to tell me that all the time. He said, you know, the greatest pitcher, pitcher, pitcher uh, the greatest teacher a pitcher has is innings pitched. And, you know, here's, Here's what I would do, too. I told uh, Sutton one time, you know, I wasn't getting through with Ave on, so Steve Avery on something. I said, come on down to bullpen. Watch, help, watch me with this guy. He goes, you want me to come down here? I said, you won 320-some games. What do you think? I said, you think I don't think you might see something? I don't. And I use <laughs> Palmer the same way. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, why not use the tools that are available to you? Because a lot of times those guys would go talk to a pitcher and there'd be some insecure pitcher because, yeah, I don't want you to talk to those guys. I'll go, all that book BS, you know. Hell, if you're scared, go home, you know. Well, and, my friend, uh, go ahead. And Hank Aaron called me one time. He said, when I come up, he goes, Leo, he said, I just want to tell you one thing about pitchers. He said, I'm not a pitching coach. He said, but let me tell you one thing. And I said, what's that, Hank? He goes, you can time a jet coming through the strike zone if you see it often enough. Oh, I love Tank Aaron. That was great. And uh, the uh, I got two little ones, and then our last question. Um, these are personality questions. But tell us, uh, you know, what what makes uh, John Cruck John Cruck? Oh, well, number one, he's a great hitter. Yeah. No, no, number two, he don't listen to all the BS. You know, he doesn't <laughs> listen. He's, he, he, and, you know, number three, He's funny. I mean, he's a funny he's man. He's funny. He's a funny man. Uh, well, you know what? I mean, he, and he and I are both big Notre Dame fans. Yep. And and uh, but you know, he when we played the Phillies all the time, Smoltz had him struck out one time, and the umpire went ball four. He looked over day out at me, and he goes, "That was strike three. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, he he was. I got a picture of him in my bonus room here. We're at the All Star game together. He's got. He's taking ground balls at first base. He's got a Braves uniform top on, and he's got his Philly pants on. Well, the, he, he, they didn't pack his jersey or something. We said, "Here, wear one of wear one of the Braves jerseys, Crucky." He's always wanted to wear a Braves jersey. Hell, I think the National League found find him a thousand dollars for being out of being out of uniform, you know. And then, of course, I was there when Randy Johnson knocked him down. Of course, that was set up, but you know, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, he's just a. And you know what? He goes, Leo, and he told me, he goes, all these dumbasses try to pitch me inside. He goes, that inside fastball, he says, is what I drive to left center. I inside out at the left center. Yep. You know, and, and he goes, he says, and they, he says, now here's, they'll still say, you know, it's like Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, he could drive that inside strike to right, right center all the time, you know? That's how he got to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And everybody says, well, oh, you got to jam him. I've never heard so much staff. You know, one time, you know, we owned the down and away strike. I saw Eddie Murray in uh, Cooperstown. And uh, 
I said, hey, Eddie, how you doing? He goes, hey, go blank yourself, Mazzoni. I said, what's the matter, Eddie? I said, you still upset about the 95 World Series? He goes, I told our hitters, Leo, that the Braves pitchers are going to go strike one down and away. Then you're never going to see another strike, so don't swing. He says, and we swung. <laughs> yeah, that says it all. Now, the other guy, of course, uh, you know, you've mentioned him a few times, but he's, to me, he's the funniest, probably the sharpest guy maybe in the history of baseball. And some of his uh, his uh, practical jokes, uh, maybe, I, I don't know if there's any you can mention, but, uh, you know, Mad Dog Maddox, uh, uh, just give us a story or two on him that makes, that puts it in perspective. Well, I mean, you know, Mad Dog was a slick guy, you know, he's sharp as can be, and and, uh, you know, one of his favorite things was to get Bobby Cox thrown out of a game, you know? And, and so, so Mad Dog would be charting a game, right? And, you know, he's, he's sitting there charting a the game and, and Glavin would be pitching and Bobby go to Glavin. He'd go, Hey, Glavin. He goes, how's that umpire? But Glavin goes, Oh, he's okay. Nothing great. Nothing bad. So he goes over to Maddox and goes, Hey, Mad Dog. He goes, how's this umpire? He said, he stinks. He said, he said he he stinks. He said he he's he ain't calling nothing. So now Bobby goes back to the corner of the dugout, and I go over to I, Glavin goes over to Maddox and goes, you know he's going to get thrown. You just got him thrown out in the next inning. You know that, don't you? And, Gla- and Maddox is sitting there laughing, going, yeah. <laughs> next inning, ball one, boom, here he goes, gets him thrown out, and Glavin and Maddox won't look at it. So you know, because I heard what he was doing. You know, Maddox won't look at it. I won't look at him either. You know, but little pranks like that you know, that you can actually talk about. Well, that's also, uh, yeah, the ones we can talk about. And the, uh, but that's what keeps the team loose. And, and my last question, our last question, we always ask, uh, we ask our, our guests this. And you can answer it any way you want. It's a simple question. But more could have a more complex answer. But to you, Leo Mazzoni, what makes a ball player? What makes a ball player? Poof. Yeah, take your time. I forgot to mention that. You don't have to rush right into that one. Well, I mean, you know, what makes a ball player is, you know, I saw Chipper Jones at a very young age. And the first thing I thought about that was Chipper at a very young age was Mickey Mantle. And I found out later that his father felt the same way, but I didn't know that at the time. Sure. And And I saw Chipper at a young age. And he'd hit a home run and run around the bases. And the way he acted and carried himself, he looked just like Mantle, Mickey Mantle running around in the bases. Number one, the work ethic. Sure, you got to have the talent. you got to have the dedication. But, you know, Johnny Sain used to tell me all the time, he says, if you can't think, you can't play. And I thought if, if, if Maddox on the mound, the way he thought, on the opposite end, I think Chipper Jones was the offensive Maddox mindset. For example, watching Chipper take two fastballs down the middle and you're going, what's going on? Here comes the change up and it's gone. Knowing that he could he could sit on two fastballs, uh, sit on that change up, knowing he was going to get it, you know. And uh, but no, I mean, you know, and then, of course, you have to have you have to have skill. But, you know, we always felt that the the mental approach, the mental approach sure does control your physically physical ability. Uh, pitchers that go and prevent defenses, you know, or or uh, hitters that uh, overswing. Uh, instead of just going up, you know, it it's like you know, it's like Bobby Cox said. One, I'll give you two examples of Bobby Cox. Smoltz is two as a pitcher and then as a hitter. All star break in '91. Smoltz is two and eleven. 
Everybody wants to send him down, you know, this and that, this and that. This is in 91. And I said, we can't send him down. He goes, I'm not going to send him down. And he goes to me, and he go, the press goes, how come, what are you going to do with Smoltz? He says, well, he's going to start next week. And da-da. what do you mean? He goes, he's the best 2-11 and 11 pitcher I've ever seen. Okay? Now, Smoltz hears this. The other one is Kelly Johnson, second baseman. Starts off the year 0 for 24. You're going to sit Kelly down? He goes, no, I like his swing. You know, that's getting off track a little bit. But what I'm saying is you also have to have that manager that sticks with you. That's a great point. That's a great point. So, for example, what if Bobby would have sent Smoltz down or took him out of the rotation in in 91? He might not be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You know, because of the mental approach after that. Because Smoltz, he went 12-2 and in the second half. And then you know the rest is history about one of the greatest postseason pitchers in the game. And, of course, Kelly Johnson went on to have a good major league career. And, of course, Chipper was the, the superstar, you know. But Chipper – and here's what – here, Chipper sacrificed two years of making the all-star team at third base by moving to left field to benefit the club for a while, for a couple of years. If I'm not mistaken. I think it was Vinny Castillo, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't I remember, right. guys. But anyway, he went to left field for a couple of years. You can look it up. And uh, but then, but you know, the way you handle yourself, the way your knowledge of the game, just having a conversation with an individual, you can tell if some of them are special and some of them are okay, and some of them, you know, if somebody used to tell me, I don't want to know what I'm doing, I'd go, oh boy, this ain't good, you know. I don't. I just want to go out and play. I don't know what I'm doing. I go, oh boy, this ain't good. Or did that did, oh, the guy goes, boy, that fastball cut. I said, yeah, I saw it cut. I said, did you do that on purpose? No, it just cuts. I said, until that pitch is a consistent pitch, we got to know why it cuts and when it cuts and what uh, causes it to cut. That's Otherwise, accountability. That's accountability, and that's what's lost in the game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a 50-50 shot. But anyway, things like that. This is all about baseball and – and how you recognize things. You could recognize a guy like in the minor leagues uh, uh, when I had Steve Avery in the minors or I had Mike Stanton, Kent Merker, uh, Smoltzy, uh, all the great pitchers, uh, uh, and I'm sure I'm leaving a few out. And then when you looked in, in, in AAA, we had Ronnie Gannon left and David Justice in right, <laughs> Mark Lemke at second, and wonder why we won the Governor's Cup. I mean, he, these guys won when they were young in the minor leagues too. Well, that's this an important part of the game that's lost now, too, because they don't uh, understand the value of winning. No, they don't care. Yeah. You know, I mean, part, I always felt that winning was part of development. And I used to hear a bunch of these losing managers say, well, we had a great development year. And I'm going, we look like crap. You know, we're having a great development year. You know, and then I had young pitchers like Zane Smith and Dwayne Ward. Those guys were good when they were in A ball, you know. Uh, Tommy Green, very good in the minor leagues. And the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but you still had to coach. You still had to. Somebody told me, Mazzoni, what would you teach Steve Avery? I said, nothing. He said, nothing. I said, yeah, he had four pit, four good pitches when he signed. I said, I don't, I, why, I'm don't. i not going to tinker with that. I said, but what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to do everything I can to make have him go to the post when it's his turn. I'm going to do everything I can to keep the four pitches that he has. You know, stuff like that. I didn't care about putting a stamp on somebody. I went, I always used to hear, 
oh, he can't throw that way. Well, how, did, how in the hell do you know he can't throw that way? He hadn't pitched yet. Or this guy's hitting, right? Well, I, I don't like that stance. Hank Aaron told me a thing one time, real smart guys, because I, I want the kids to hear this too. Hank Aaron said, you know, Leo, he says, when a hitter's not hitting good, a hitting coach will say he's dropping his hands, you know. And he says, and I drop my hands all the time. He said, but you know what he said about me? And I said, what? They say, Hank, he goes, well, they said I drop my hands too, but it's a timing device. <laughs> That's uh, Leo, thanks so much. Hey, guys, yeah. I, there's a lot of truth to all those stories. I'm going to tell you that. Oh, we love the stories. I mean, you were phenomenal on uh, Wiley and Will. That's why we brought you back today. Our audience was wanting more, and you certainly gave them. Oh, that. great stuff, Leo. Thanks so much, and give my best to Bobby. I sure will. I, I saw him yesterday. I'm going to go down again. He likes to likes me to come down when the Braves are playing a day game, and we can just sit there and watch it. And uh, I'll give him a sip on a on a beer. He had a Bloody Mary yesterday, so I had one with him. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Yeah. We, uh, Leo, thanks for giving us your time on the show again today. He gave us an hour and 40 minutes last time. And thank your wife, too, for letting us uh, use her computer today, too, for another hour. Uh, to get you on the show. Our audience, 40,000 subscribers. I mean, they were clamoring for more. You gave them a ton today to chew on. And Kevin, thanks so much to you, our Hall of Famer, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, for coming on and giving our Absolutely. audience another great interview today. Uh, both you guys were phenomenal. We could listen to you for hours, uh, I'm sure. I was down here taking notes like a like a kid learning myself today. But, well, uh, we got a whole lot more where that come from. <laughs> oh, buddy, we're, we're, we're calling you back. As soon as we get off, I'm texting you for another another time here we could have you on all week and then some um episode 243 here with coach and kern and the real voices of the game want to thank our 40,000 plus subscribers 73 countries now we got cuba the other day kevin with uh with victor mesa jr on so leo if you weren't global before you're global now hopefully kids throughout the world are clamoring the teachings of johnny sane and leo mazzoni out there but uh thanks to our audience again and with that episode 243 in the books today coach and kerning <laughs>